Before we begin our Torah study this morning, let's pray together. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Asher Kiddushenu B'Mitzvotah V'Tzivanu La'asok B'Divrei Torah. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. Today we begin our reading in the fifth book of Moses, known from a Greek rendering of Deuteronomy, which means the second law. It is a review. It's not just a time of nostalgia for Moses and for Israel. It's a time to look back. It's a time for Moses and for Israel to think carefully and to focus on some details that could easily be lost in the coming season of their lives. In Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 3, it says this, On the first day of the 11th month of the 40th year, Moses spoke to the people of Israel, reviewing everything the Lord had ordered him to tell them. So this is the end of the 40-year period of wandering in the desert, in the wilderness, prior to Israel going into the land that has been promised. So it's the last moments even of Moses' life with Israel. And he is reflecting on some things that the Lord wants him to underline. And he is taking time before he departs. He's not going into the land. The children of Israel will go in, but not the generation that had lost heart, that had given up, but rather the generation that had been born in the wilderness and was ready to move forward. So this is a time to review Israel's challenges, the ups and downs, what went well, what didn't go well. And I think in this way, Deuteronomy is useful to prepare Israel for what's ahead because sometimes we have to take stock. What have we been through? And yet Moses wants to convey a certain attitude. And it's an important attitude that can be summed up in a favorite Hebrew word of mine, kadima, which means forward or charge. Or if you watch Israeli television, uh, things like Fauda and stuff like that, and you pay attention to their Hebrew in, in the army and in their special forces, they'll say kadima, which means let's go, or charge, or come on now. It's a forward direction. So smile at someone and say in your sweetest voice to them, Kadima, Kadima, Kadima. Let's go. Forward. Moses is also teaching Israel not to get stuck in the past. Yes, to look back. But no matter how muddy and murky the past has been, to remember that the future is forward. The future is not backwards. It's good to recall the past. It's good to reflect on the past, but not to be trapped by the past. We learn from our past, 
and yet we're not trapped by it. So what's clear to Moses, and he wants it to be clear to all of Israel, and by writing this down, he wants it to be clear for all generations, including us, is that life has not been easy. How many can confirm that? The little kids are going, what do you mean, Rabbi? Life is great. Life for Israel in the wilderness on that journey has not been easy, and, and yet everyone's basic needs were taken care of during the wilderness journey. There was always food. There was always enough to eat. It was boring. I think the experience of eating manna for 40 years is one of the reasons why culinary Judaism took off. God was with the people Israel during those 40 years, even when all of Israel wasn't with God. God revealed his power, he created, he provided, he delivered, he acted as a sovereign, and he gave law through Moses to Israel. And he brought forth in this way a community of faith. And he raised up leaders who were faithful. So as we're reading the fifth book of Moses during these next few weeks, we're going to see two very important themes that are emphasized. And one is the theme of the future. Let's just say that word, the future. God has a hope and a future for Israel, for you, for me. And this future requires that we learn about God we learn from God, and that we also teach our children and our children's children about him. We will be a nation, the Lord promises, that will have a future, and it requires that we pass on real faith and faithfulness to other generations. That's why it's so exciting when we have young people serving the Lord in the Junior Cantor Program like today with Joanna, earlier this summer with Alex, like those who are serving on the worship team and in dance ministry and in other ways. It's wonderful in the media ministry. It is so wonderful to see young and old together serving. We have a future. And one of the ways that we, that we demonstrate that is we take the youngest ones and we include them. In our life. It's not just about ministry we can do to them, but also ministry that we can do with them. So it's important that we think about the future. And I think here at Beth Israel, when we think about the future, we think also about babies. And we think about toddlers and children and teens and college age young folk and beyond. And the future focus for us, I think, is, is quite practical. And it does involve recognizing how important it is to have a children's ministry. And ministering to the children is really important. And I commend all of you who are serving in the Shabbat school and the youth group and serving in ministries um, that are dedicated to the young people. Thank you for that. What you're doing is very, very important. It's worth recognizing. It's worth honoring. It's necessary. And we want to see it not only continue, but 
we want to see it expand. We want to grow and grow these ministries because we're called to be generations together, young and old together. And I think it's also fantastic, as I've already said, that we serve with children and we learn to include children in ministry and young people, teenagers and others in ministry. And to involve them, that can involve training them. You have to have a heart for them, to encourage them and to to help them if they need confidence, to share your confidence in them so that they can confidently serve the Lord. And I want to say to the young people who are serving, thank you. Thank you for serving. It's a good thing. It encourages us. It it strengthens our heart. Don't you agree, older people, that when you see young people in service, that it, it makes you feel good? Okay, now here's the thing. Young people, I want you to have the same feeling about us who are a little bit older than you, that you feel good that we love you. And you feel good that, that we want you to do well, and you feel good that we're doing well. So you can congratulate us, and, and you can say, good job. <laughs> you can think of good things that older people are doing and tell them that you appreciate them. It's, it's an important thing to learn to do. And if you haven't learned already, young people, it's important to learn how to shake hands and how to have a, a, a firm but not a crushing grip. We'll have some training later this summer with the young people. I like to do that every, every so often where we practice. We have like skill building sessions here in the service, learning to shake hands. Because, you know, there's a certain stage in especially young boys' lives when they're learning to shake hands, when they think if they can squeeze as hard as they possibly can and make you grimace, then they've done a good job. That's not the sign of a healthy shake. Firm, steady, and eye-to-eye contact. That's a good shake. We'll work on that. And I know some of you young people are thinking, I don't want to be here when he does that. But we'll sneak up on you. We will not give you any advance warning. We might even do it later today. You never know. But we're not. Well, the second theme in Deuteronomy is the theme of love. Love is an essential trait. It amplifies the power of faith. Love and faith go together. Let's say that. Love and faith go together. And let's remember that three-chord strand of love that I spoke about last week. The first strand, God loves us. The second strand, we love God in response to his love. And the third strand, we love what God loves. And those three strands work together in such powerful ways. Faith combines with love to be truly authentic. Faith and love are synergistic. That's a a big word for some. Synergy means uh, that power is added together 
And you could say the power of faith and the power of love, once they're combined, is greater than just adding the two of them by themselves. When they unite together, they become even stronger than the individual parts. Now, thinking about the book of Exodus for a minute, not Deuteronomy, but Exodus. In Exodus, there's a great emphasis on the power and the sovereignty of God. It is in the book of Exodus that, that God delivers the children of Israel from their slavery in Egypt and shows his great and mighty power. But when God is meeting with Moses at Sinai, the emphasis is turned in a very different direction. It turns towards the loving kindness of the Lord. So it's in Exodus 34, verses 5 through 7. If you have Bibles with you, I encourage you to follow along with me. It says, The Lord descended in the cloud and stood there with Moses. The Hebrew says, stood next to Moses. As the Lord called out the name of the Lord. And then the Lord passed by in front of Moses and proclaimed. So it's an unusual picture where the Lord comes down from heaven and stands physically next to Moses. And then while the Lord is there with Moses, the Lord also passes by in front of Moses. And the Lord standing next to Moses and the Lord passing by in front, that's happening at one time. And the Lord standing next to Moses calls out to the Lord passing by. Now, this is not two gods. This is one God who can be in as many places simultaneously as he wants to be. And it's a powerful, powerful statement that the Lord makes when the Lord calls out to the Lord. And this is what the Lord says. It reminds me of something Rabbi David Rosenberg said. He, he talks to himself sometimes. And he said, uh, yeah, I do that. I learned that from the Lord. Because the Lord will talk to himself as well. I thought, well, that's interesting. I just thought, well, I'm not going to say what I thought. So this is what the Lord said. The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. So this is powerful. Some people have it in their minds that the God of, I'll call it the Old Testament, was an angry God, and the God of the New Testament is like gentle and kind and soft and fuzzy. But there's one God, the God of eternity, who reveals himself in all times and seasons. And it's at this moment with Moses where the Lord wants Moses to know that, that the Lord is not just powerful, 
But he's good. He's loving. He's tender. And we can see in this three important details, the Lord is present. He's not an abstraction. He's not just a platonic ideal or a philosophical construct. He's actually present, and he comes down to be with Moses. And so this is not the God of the philosophers who was the prime mover who created everything and then is no more active in his creation. This is the Lord who is separate from his creation, but he's not distant from his creation. He can come down and be present. And the second thing to take notice of is that the Lord is standing with Moses. The Hebrew says it clearly. And even those Jewish scholars who don't believe that God can stand next to Moses agree that the Hebrew says he stood next to Moses. So the Hebrew is unambiguous. The Hebrew is perfectly clear, and it troubles some people because it doesn't fit into their theology of an abstract God who is outside the universe. And yet the Torah makes it clear. It's not just a spiritual presence. God stands with Moses. He stands there. And then the third detail, just to remind you, is that the Lord calls out to the Lord. So this is God who speaks. And he speaks while he's standing next to Moses, and he's also passing in front of Moses. And the, the Torah does not tend to use abstractions and concepts but rather concrete realities in order to teach us important things. And from the narrative, from the stories of what's happened, we're to draw some conclusions. So here's one of the conclusions. God can speak. God can be present. God can be personal. These are conclusions that we are to draw because that's what Torah is trying to teach us. That's what happened. That's how God revealed himself to Moses. Now, what I think is most important of all from this passage is not only what the Lord, that the Lord does speak, but what he talks about. He talks about his own love. And so it's the Lord calling out to the Lord, saying, the Lord God, compassionate. And this, I think, is so useful, especially, I'm going to say this, if I can say it. I may stumble on the words, but bear with me. I want to talk to our Jewish people who grew up thinking God was abstract and distant, and who had that kind of view of God that's very popular among many who were raised in modern uh, rabbinic synagogues. It's a very popular view that there, there is a God out there. But the God that we read about is only to be understood sort of as myth or good religious inspiring stories, but not in a real way. But this is telling us something that explains
explains who God is and what he's like and what he wants us to know about him. He wants us to know that he's compassionate. The God who is mighty is also compassionate. The God who is powerful is also gracious. The God who can strike down his enemies is also slow to anger. Let me ask a question of this group and those who are watching. If you're a person who has responsibility at work or in your business or profession where you hire and fire people, um, you probably don't enjoy, very few people enjoy firing other people. That's not one of the great pleasures in life. And sometimes when people get fired, they think whoever fired them is at fault, you know, like they're so hard-hearted or whatever. And yet that's part of the job of leadership and responsibility. I've talked to some business owners recently who had to fire people. It wasn't pleasant. You try to do the best you can. But at the end of the conversation, the person needs to know they were fired. They can't keep coming as if nothing's changed, right? You got fired. And many people who are business owners, many believers who have leadership responsibilities are, are quite patient and, and give many chances. I was talking to, to one business owner who had to fire someone. He, he told me, you know, I give people so many chances, not two chances, not three chances. He said, if I fire them, they had to go so far for me to actually take that action because I'm patient. And yet, when the person got fired, they very rarely think, oh, what a patient guy. What a nice guy. The one exception I can think to that is my own father who had his, uh, had his business, he could fire people in such a way that they thanked him. I mean, he was one of a kind. But it's uh, something I learned because many people who he did fire went on to better things for them, better suited for them. And they told me later that the way my dad fired them really opened things up for them. Now, not everybody had that response, but so many did. I thought, wow, what a guy that he could do that. Wish I had learned how. I don't think I learned how to do that from him. When, when God says enough, it's because it's enough already. It, he wants us to know he's slow to anger. He's not uh, a quick-tempered God. He's patient. He's slow to anger. Let's say that slow to anger. So if you make God angry, it means that you did something. And some of us have had the experience of of praying to God and saying, what did I do to deserve this? And he answered us and said, well, I'll tell you. 
slow to anger, abounding in love. That's what he says about himself, abounding in truth. Now, this is really important because love and truth work together. And love doesn't mean ignoring the truth. It means facing it, but with love. Who keeps love and mercy for thousands of for thousands of generations, who forgives, who forgives. God is a God who forgives. He wants to be known, and he's telling Moses this by calling out, the Lord calling out to the Lord and saying, Lord, you forgive. And Moses is hearing the Lord say to the Lord, you're the one who forgives. And this is all a revelation. It's a revelation of God about God, from God, in front of Moses. And we have the privilege of reading about it, that God comes down from heaven to stand with Moses and to proclaim the very nature of God to Moses so that you and I can know that the holy God of heaven is abounding in love and mercy. And this revelation, I think, is foundational for what we read about in Deuteronomy. And soon... I think next week we'll read about the greatest commandment, the greatest mitzvah, which is to love God with all of our hearts, with all of our souls, with all of our strength, with all of our mind. So we are called to love the God who loves us. He's not just our creator. He loves us. And I want to encourage you, never settle for another view of God, a distant God or an abstract God or uh, an impersonal God, the God of Torah, the God of the Bible, the God who reveals himself to us. This is a God who knows us and loves us. He calls us by name. He cares about us. He knows the number of hairs on our head, however many or few are left. He knows us. He knows our inner being. And so Deuteronomy is a review, and it fortifies the vision for the children of Israel. For Moses, it's a time of reflection, but it's also a time of instruction. It's a time of renewal. Moses is about to leave, not by his choice, by God's decision. And he wants Israel to be renewed in purpose, in commitment. And so he's trying to convey that renewed sense of commitment to the Lord and, and identity as a people called by God. And he's preparing the children of Israel for what's ahead. And Moses will soon be gone, but the children of Israel will go forward. So one Jewish leader, reflecting on all this, put it this way. Moses is leaving behind a legacy that would outlive him. That reminds me of Cantor Aaron Jacobs' message recently on legacy, an important theme. And then this Jewish leader says, Moses gives the younger ones the gift of his long experience. By way of personal example, he showed them what it is to grow old while staying young. Moses, at almost 120 years, is looking forward as well as back. He's sharing his wisdom with the young, teaching all that 
While the body may age, the spirit can stay strong. And he uses his last writings to communicate lasting truths and ideals. Two important ones, give back to the community and share our wisdom with those who will come after us. Inspire them to continue what we could not complete. That's a great distillation of, of what's happening in Deuteronomy. But I would add something else, and that is there is more renewal for the children of Israel ahead, more than even Moses fully saw. In later generations, the prophet Jeremiah would tell us about this renewal. It's in Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 34. If you are Messianic, this should be very, very familiar to you. And for those who don't know, Jeremiah is a Jewish prophet. His book is in Nevaim, the prophets. It's part of the Tanakh. Jeremiah 31, verse 31, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. Say new covenant with me. New covenant. In Hebrew, Brit HaChadashah. Let's say that together. Brit HaChadashah. I will make Brit HaChadashah with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers on the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant, which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. Verse 33, for this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my Torah within them and write it on their heart, and I will be their God and they shall be my people. They will not teach again each one his neighbor and each one his brother saying, know the Lord, for they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their wrongdoing and their sins. I will remember no more. So let's be clear about some things here. The new covenant is a renewed covenant. It's built upon the Sinai covenant, but the covenant is updated. And that's why Jeremiah said it will be different. Some aspects are changed. This is very, very, very important. For everyone who loves Torah, it's very important to understand that Torah teaches us that some things about the covenant are going to be updated and will change. Let's look at some examples. The words of Torah had been written on tablets of stone. Now Torah is to be written on the hearts. Another example, the Torah had been external. Now it's to be internalized as well. It's to be within us. Now, thinking about all of this, all the commands and the demands of the Torah are clearly greater than what Israel was able to keep on their own. And that's why Jeremiah says Israel broke the covenant. But let's be honest. We couldn't keep it. No one could perfectly keep it except for Yeshua. We broke the covenant, and so God renews the covenant 
there is forgiveness. Forgiveness, that's one of the things the Lord spoke to Moses about. The Lord who forgives your iniquity. The Lord spoke about it through the prophets. He spoke about it through Messiah and the apostles. It's a continuing revelation of the covenantal faithfulness and mercy. So the renewed covenant, Jeremiah calls it, it touches us in deep places. It's not just what we know, it's who we know. And Jeremiah says it so clearly, and I want to underline this. He says, we are all called to know the Lord. And so there will be a point when we don't have to say, you should know the Lord because all of us will know the Lord. To know Hashem, to have fellowship with the Lord, to honor Him, to love Him, to be faithful to God, to trust Adonai, to turn from our independent and headstrong ways and stiff-necked ways, to return to God, to receive His forgiveness, and we have to ask the question, who is this for? Jeremiah says, it's for all of us. Not just Messianic Jews, it's for everyone. Everyone is to come into this new covenant. From the least of us to the greatest of us. So the renewed covenant, the new covenant, this is what God has done for us by coming down from heaven, becoming our redeemer, our kinsman redeemer. It's the fact that the Lord pays the price for us. He becomes the atoning sacrifice. He becomes the lamb that takes away our sins. And then when Yeshua returns to heaven, he sends his spirit, Haruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, which is also called the Spirit of his Son, who lives in us and empowers us for the life of faith. That's distilled in Galatians 4, verse 6, if you're taking notes. Because we are his children, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. And so in this way, the Lord keeps us, even though we couldn't keep the Sinai covenant. Let's be straight with ourselves. This is so important for all of our Jewish people. We cannot keep the Sinai covenant. We didn't, we couldn't, we broke it. God said he would renew it, and it would, when it's renewed, it would be different. So we need to open our hearts to all of that and be really clear. I'm going to end this study with two useful traditional Jewish prayers that are based on Scripture from Hebrew. The first one is from Psalm 19, verse 14. It says, And in English, may the words, I'll render it accurately, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. 
But when it says redeemer, it uses a special word, goeli, my kinsman redeemer. This is interesting. Who is the redeemer of Israel? The Lord. Who is the redeemer of Israel? He is the kinsman redeemer. So in Psalm 19, we see this prophetic declaration that redemption will come by the Lord for us. And so he will become our kinsman redeemer. That helps us make sense out of why God comes down and becomes a man, takes on a human body so that he can be a kinsman redeemer. King David saw it clearly, prophetically. And then in Zechariah chapter 14, verse 9, <clears throat> it says, V'ne'emar, it has been prophesied. V'haya Adonai l'melech al-kal ha'aretz b'yom ha'hu y'ya Adonai achad u'shmo The Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day, the Lord shall be one and his name one. The Lord who is one will become one when his name is one. <clears throat> the Lord who calls out to the Lord. The Lord who is echad. He, he has complexity in his unity. The Lord who is king from heaven to earth will become king and his name will be one. So whether you call him Abba, whether you call him Haruach HaKodesh, whether you call him Yeshua, one God, Echad, one God, not three gods, one God, the God of heaven, the God of earth, who renews covenant and makes it possible for you and me through Messiah Yeshua to be reconciled to him and to live for him. Lord, we thank you. Let the things that we say and let the things that stir in our hearts and that we mull over be what's pleasing to you. And let it be that we declare that you are Adonai Echad and that your name is one. Amen. We're going to close now with Aaron's blessing. If you would stand up right now. I want to thank everyone for joining us today who's in the sanctuary. Everyone who participated by live stream or podcast. Glad you could be with us. I hope all of you can join us next door for the Oneg at the Shalom Center. We'll have fellowship, we'll have refreshments, and we'll have chores. Happy chores afterwards. Let's close with Aaron's blessing in just one moment. For those of you who are participating by live stream, would you consider standing with us financially? All the information is on our webpage, bethisraelnow.com slash giving. Yivarechecha Adonai v'yishmarecha, ye'er Adonai p'navelecha v'yichunecha, yisa Adonai p'navelecha v'yasem lecha. Shalom. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he lift up his face to you and give you peace in the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. So from Sandy and me and the entire Beth Israel team, thanks for joining us. Shabbat shalom, everyone.